Welcome back to another episode of the Next Level Minds podcast. My name is Chris Chapman and I am your host. For those of you tuning in for the first time, this is a podcast dedicated to those who want to reach a next level in their business, personal, or career life. Every other week, I'm blessed to sit down with a qualified guest, entrepreneur, content creator, or mover and shaker in their industry and walk through their story of how they have gotten from point A to point B and overcame various adversities along the way. Before we get started with today's episode, I do want to go ahead and remind you of the contest that is going on right now. It's a chance to win a $50 Visa gift card. How can you enter this contest? Well, number one, you can make a review on Apple Podcasts. Then step two from there is screenshot the review and email it to nextlevelmindspodcast at gmail.com with your name in the subject line. After that, I will enter you in the contest, which will be announced the winner at the end of June slash early July timeframe. Again, $50 free money. You can use that over the summer. Be sure to enter the contest, make that review, screenshot it, and send it to nextlevelmindspodcast at gmail.com. Additionally, on to today's episode, which I am extremely excited about. I'm sitting down with Thomas Mumford and Chris Dyer, the co-founders of Undergrads, which is a student-ran, university student-ran moving company that was started at Clemson University by Thomas and Chris a few years back. We really walked through their story of how they started their company, turned their idea into reality while they were university students. Then we walked through how they scaled appropriately while they were working the nine to five and ended up scaling so much that they were able to take their business full time, quit the nine to five and start running it on their own, which is every aspiring entrepreneur's dream to step out of the eight to five. That's my dream. So I was really excited that I got to talk to them. I'm sure you guys will get a lot of value out of this. We walked through customer service, technology, how to scale, different growth techniques. So thanks for tuning into this week's episode. And as we like to say here, your mindset is your greatest weapon for the battle of success. Thomas and Chris, it's awesome uh, that you guys are joining on the Next Level Minds podcast. Uh, I'm super excited to have you all on here today. Nice, man. Thanks for having us. We really appreciate the time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. How's, uh, how's everything going? I know y'all are sitting in uh, Lexington right now. Is it going all right? Everything is going good, man. Uh, the great big town of Lexington, South Carolina. <laughs> nice. So y'all getting used to the I know you kind of already work from home, but are you kind of getting used to that whole like environment with COVID and everything right now? Or yeah, we were uh, we're cooped up in Chris's mom's um, attic space above the garage, so we've been working out of there for the past five months. So COVID isn't really much of a change for us <laughs> for how we work. Yeah, I love that man. That's like a true startup uh, right there. Is you know working out of the basement, obviously saving more money to put it back in your business, right? Oh yeah, exactly. 
Nice. You guys both fully own and operate uh, a very successful, pretty much student-ran uh, moving company with a pretty unique business model. Um, how'd you guys really like get to this point? I know you started it in Clemson, but uh, I'd love if you could both just kind of hop in and, and dive into how you started it. Sure, I can kick that off. So yeah, to begin, the name of the company is Undergrads. Um, it didn't start as Undergrads. It actually started back in 2015 when Thomas and I were both studying uh, industrial engineering at Clemson. We lived together in 2015 and we had this brilliant idea that we were going to make some money to spend on the weekends um, so that we didn't have to take a job that would then force us to work when we didn't want to. So we said, okay, what can two young athletic guys do that we can set our own schedule and make some money? So he said, okay, we can move people. So we came up with this Craigslist ad. Uh, we posted it on Craigslist and then we sent it out to the world and said, okay, we'll move you. But at the time we didn't have any money for a truck. So he said, we'll come move you, but we're not going to bring a truck. You bring the truck, we'll bring the movers. And it just took off from there, man. It, uh, you know, the first semester we did all right, but we didn't necessarily take it seriously. So it kind of fizzled out after a year. And then in 2017, our very last semester, August, we said, all right, let's give this a go for our last semester here and just see what happens before we graduated. So we had this class, we built out a website, uh, we started taking calls, and then from there, it just kind of kept on growing to the point we are today. And Thomas, you want to step in? Yeah, and a little background on what the company is, is we're, uh, we're still a labor-only moving company that's entirely powered by university students. Mm. So we started as student movers service. And as you can tell, that's kind of a mouthful to begin with. Um, and then people honestly didn't understand what it was. So we rebranded to undergrads in 2020 um, once we went full time. And we've just kind of run with it from there. Nice. Um, so, so you mentioned like you didn't have a truck or anything and obviously it's student ran. Uh, did you guys get any initial pushback from customers of like, who are you guys? You don't even have a truck. Like how did you get through that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and at the beginning we didn't have uniforms, so we didn't really have a logo, a website. We were just strictly Craigslist. Um, and what we did differently than any other one on Craigslist was that we posted every day and that we didn't have any spelling errors in our posts. <laughs> so we were already at the top of the list. Um, and at first we got pushed back because people thought we were students, that we weren't professional movers. Mm. But once we got there, we could kind of explain to them what makes a professional mover. I mean, there really is no difference other than the fact that they kind of move a little bit more frequently. But once you get trained um, and you're an educated college kid doing the moves, you're kind of right up there with them, if not past them, once you know what you're doing. Yeah, that makes sense. So you kind of just said, Hey, what separates us? You know, we're, we're just like anybody else kind of give us a shot type of thing. Absolutely. It's funny though, because at the, at the very beginning of this whole ordeal, uh, you asked what customers had like hesitations for, in mm. some instances they had the right. So as, as uh, ashamed as I am to say this, when we first started this back in 2015, I was a sophomore in college. Thomas was a junior. We weren't necessarily having our head on straight at the time. So there were instances where we wouldn't show up. Uh, we would just go out the night before and have a few too many drinks and just wouldn't show up. And we would get some of the most hateful uh, voicemails in the morning. And, you know, it's, it's, it's sad that it's the case, but, you know, that's what people expect when they get with college kids. But since then, we, you know, we've come such a long way that, that those are so far behind us. Yeah. And so you mentioned, Chris, uh, you were a junior and Thomas, you were a sophomore. Was that it? Uh, reversed. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Reversed. Chris, so you're younger than me. Gotcha. Gotcha. So obviously that's like a young age uh, to even get an internship or even a job for that matter. I mean, what was it like obviously growing that company kind of at that early stage while you're a full-time student at Clemson? Oh man, that was uh, <laughs> it was quite the experience. This is 
one of the more fond memories uh, we have during the early stages. So during 15, it was kind of the stage of, it was a joke. 2017, we started to take it seriously. And some of the, the greatest memories we had was, so back then when we first launched, we had a website in 2017, but we didn't have a way for customers to book their move online through the website. So if anyone was going to book a move with us, they were going to have to give us a phone call. We would then take the notes on our iPhone, store them in our calendar, and then Thomas and I would go do the moves ourselves. <laughs> so the, the problem became when we had class. So every move required a phone call and we have class all day. So there were so many times that we'd be getting phone calls in classes and we had to step out, go take the phone call, record the notes on our phone, go back into class, and then go do the move later that day. So that was, it was quite the experience trying to balance class and then doing these jobs. Yeah, we were, Chris mentioned earlier, we were both industrial engineering students. So our, our um, professors probably thought we weren't paying any attention and that we were probably the worst students out of there. <laughs> we ended up passing all the classes. We even got a 4.0 in our last semester there when we were kind of in the, the thick of the business. But it was that we really couldn't be in class when we couldn't be in class. So we... We tried to miss as little class as possible to take these phone calls or do moves, but there were some instances where that would happen. Yeah, definitely. That reminds me of, uh, you know, in college I pledged a fraternity and like you'd get so many phone calls of like errands you had to run. Yep. Um, and you know, I wouldn't mind missing their phone calls cause it's just like, I don't feel like going to go do this, but I can't imagine, you know, like, Oh man, I just missed like five customer phone calls. That's, that's revenue we're yeah. missing out on, you know? Yeah, exactly. And back then we were keeping all the money. It wasn't like we were with the intentions of growing this thing into a national company. We were just saying, all right, let's just see how much money we can make. So every phone call we missed was, you know, $30 out of our pocket per mm. hour that we missed out on. Yeah, definitely. What, um, like, what were the hours like? I know you and I kind of talked offline, just like waking up super early doing this before class. Like, did you kind of have a set schedule there? Or? Um, when we first started, the hours weren't um, too crazy for working hours on the business, but the, the manual labor hours were pretty intensive. So we would, we started getting up around six o'clock. We would go play a game of racquetball or two in the morning before our moves around seven or eight. And then we would try to finish up our, our morning moves before our 10 o'clock class. Um, and then we'd probably go back out and do some more moves after that. Uh, and then we had some afternoon classes and then by then we were done. We were going to sleep or <laughs> trying to grow the business for a couple hours and it was barely productive at all. Um, cause you're just so tired. But then when we graduated, um, we would, we would split a lot of the time between our full-time jobs. Uh, I was up in New York, Chris was down in Orlando, so we were pretty far apart. So a lot of it was spent on, um, Google Hangouts calls, mm. uh, in the mornings and in the evenings. Gotcha. So what you mentioned at first, you didn't take it too seriously. Like, you know, you're going out the night before missing uh, moves and everything. Like, like what, what stage did you kind of realize together? Like, all right, let's start taking this thing seriously. Let's start building a website and everything. August of 2017. So when people ask us when the company was founded, we always say 2017, the 2015 to 2016 era, wouldn't even call it really a company. Those trial it's just us two. <laughs> Yeah, making a little side cash. But 2017, we did start to take it seriously. You know, we weren't missing moves anymore. Uh, by the end of the semester, we had four other guys working with us. Uh, and then when we graduated in December of 17, and like Thomas said, he moved up to New York. I moved down to Orlando. We had a team of, you know, 10 guys, uh, fully remote operation. We were a, a legit business. Gotcha. Did, did anything come up, like, before that um, August of 2017 where you're like, 
all right, this is a sign that we need to start taking this more seriously or was it just kind of natural? It, it was kind of like a, a light bulb moment of we want to build a business before we leave college. Mm. And we had the moving company. It's always been very successful. We always made a good bit of money on it on our own. Um, and we, we just thought to ourselves, what happens if we legitimize it? What happens when we get an LLC, we get insurance, we hire on movers. Um, and then we thought that might be it. But then it's like, what happens if you get into marketing? You've got Google ads, Facebook ads, you've mm. got to build a website, you've got a tech team. Um, once we started, we couldn't stop it. It just grew like wildfire. Um, and it was just that idea of, we want to leave with a business, whether it works or not, but we want to graduate with having tried to start one in college. Yeah, definitely. What advice would you all have out there for, you know, potential college students right now that are, you know, have a business idea and they're like, man, I really want to start something. Do it. Yeah. hundred percent. That's yeah. the, the best advice we could give anyone in the world is, you know, whether you're 18 years old or 55 years old, even 60 years old, if you've got an idea, it's not like you need to have the next Facebook and it's not like you need mm. to drop the rest of your life in order to do this idea. You just need to do it. Just take the first step. Gotcha. Yeah. That, the, you know, the secret to get going is get started, right? I mean, it's taking exactly. that first jump. And I feel like, do you think people are scared to do that sometimes or? We're scared to do that yeah. every day. You know, yeah. you know, as we're growing the company, there are things we're doing every single day where it's like, okay, we finally get around to doing this. And it's like, oh shit, I could have done this two months ago, uh, but why didn't I do it? And there's just no reason other than fear. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That makes sense. So yeah. you guys started taking it more seriously uh, in August, 2017 and then finished up December uh, that same year, right? That's right. Okay. What well, what was that like? Cause I'm doing this myself, growing some side hustles and, you know, running a full-time job as well. Like, can you kind of walk through what that was like growing a business? I'm sure that was a little bit more hectic, uh, than it was building at Clemson. Yeah. You mean right after, uh, right after graduation? Yeah. So graduation hits, you guys have your full-time job. Uh, Chris, you head to Orlando. Um, Thomas, you're obviously going to New York, but still growing the company. I mean, what was that phase like? Yeah, luckily I got started a little bit later than Chris did. So Chris left February right after we graduated. Um, so we had about a month together to set up whatever we needed um, and then to get some employees. And then after that, I started in June. So we had about a six month window to where we needed to build out processes in place to do this whole thing remote. Um, and I think doing that like having that time to set it up to to plan it out and figure out what you need to do to be able to operate remote is a, is a key factor in how we were successful. Um, jumping right into it without a plan, it's you're probably going to fail. Not saying you will, because who knows. But once you once you get that plan under your belt, um, just stick to it. But having that process in place helped us so much. And then to add on top of that, you know, your nine to five is your nine to five, but there's a lot of time before nine and there's a lot of time after five o'clock. Those are your hours to do everything you need to get done. Now we were up what we called the 530 club, especially in 2019, 2018, it wasn't too bad, but then, you know, as we get into 2019, we're experiencing triple growth year over year. Things are starting to get busy. So that's when we realized, all right, we've got to find time to make this stuff happen. And that's when we started getting up at 5.30 every morning, being on calls from 5.30 to 8.30 when we went to the office. And then as soon as we got back, eating dinner, getting on calls until 10 at night. And that's where all the time to make the business happens. Yeah. And, and you have roommates at the same time who are mm. going out partying. They're getting home at 5, 6 o'clock, and they're watching TV and movies. Um, you just kind of have to make sacrifices sometimes. And it was tough. There were definitely times where I definitely didn't want to be on the call. I wanted to go hang out or go to uh, – 
concert, but uh, you, you make those sacrifices and it definitely pays off. We've seen it pay off. Um, you just have to know that deep down it most likely will. Yeah, definitely. What, uh, what drives y'all when you hit that point? Cause I hit that sometimes too. I'm like, you know, I have a call with, with my team, uh, tonight at nine and I'm like, man, I just want to sit back and watch the TV <laughs> for a second. Uh, so like what keeps you guys going when you're kind of at that, like, uh, I don't feel like a moment. Oh man, it's just thinking about the end goal. It's, it's yeah. super simple. You got to remember why you started it in the first place. If you get caught up in the day to day, it's easy to quit. But if you like think forward, you know, five years, 10 years down the road where you're trying to get to, you get that spark back. Yeah, def- definitely. And if you think back, even with what you've been doing eight months ago, how far you've come in those eight months, um, we're an entirely different company than we were eight months mm-hmm. ago, um, operationally and even with the brand. Um, so yeah, if you look at the day to day, it's really tough. Um, and even getting into habits, those, those small habits, once you start to break them, um, it gets, it gets kind of tough to, uh, to get back in them. So if you're working after work, once you start to watch movies after work every day or play video games, you'll, you'll go back into what's easiest and you'll sit there and play video games for a couple months straight, which is fine. Um, everyone falls out of it every now and then and again, but it, it depends on how long it takes to get back into it. Um, you just can't fall off the horse entirely. Yeah, that makes sense. It's all about those daily habits compounding over time. Like the watching movies can be compounded over time, but obviously probably not produce positive results versus getting up early, going to the gym, building your side business. That probably yields exponentially greater results in the future, right? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and it's definitely not easy by yourself. Um, mm-hmm. If you have a team, it really helps. So getting up at 5.30 in the morning sucks. It's not fun at all, especially if you're not a morning person. Um, but getting up at five 30, hopping on a call with a teammate who is uh, holding you accountable to get on the call with them or else they just kind of woke up for nothing makes you get out of bed and then get on the call. Um, which I think really helped us. Yeah, definitely. What's uh, what's y'all's advice for finding co-founders? Like it seems like you guys have ever since our first call, it seems like you have some pretty good synergy together. And I know finding a, a fellow co-founder is huge. I don't, I guess you could find one. In our instance, it wasn't you find it. It just kind of happens. Mm. I think that a lot of times, especially people who start businesses together, it isn't like one guy went out and said, all right, I'm looking for a guy or girl. So I'm looking for a co-founder. It was just kind of, okay, I know this other person who has similar interests in me and they may have a skill set that I don't have. And it kind of just works out. And that's how it happened with us. And I think that that's probably how it happens with a lot of people. Yeah. And, and don't rush it either. Um, we found that when we tended to rush a lot of hires, um, we necessarily didn't need it. So we tried to go pull in a co-founder for our tech side and mm-hmm. come to find out that Chris and I are perfectly capable of doing it. It's just, like you said earlier, you're afraid to take that step into looking into it. But once we started working on it, we realized this actually isn't that complicated. Um, we do have time in the day to do this. And if we brought on a co-founder, there goes the equity. Once you, once you give it out, you can't get it back. Um, yeah, it is. It's tough. You don't want to rush it, but, um, it will happen naturally. Yeah, that makes sense. I feel like it's a common pitfall. Like I've even fallen into this too. It's like, Oh man, I, I'm trying to le- learn how to do Facebook or Instagram ads, but it's like, Oh, maybe we could find a co-founder that, that runs social media. And then it's like 2% equity here, 5% there. Yeah. And next thing you know, yeah. like you no longer hold that much equity in the company. Right. Yeah, exactly. And you gave up X amount of equity for what a Facebook ad. Like, yeah. And it's like, at the end of the day, just going back to what y'all were both mentioning of like, oh, just get started. Like, just start reading some books, looking at some YouTube videos, learning it yourself on those things that that you can actually do. Yeah. And you don't necessarily have to learn it yourself, but you also at the same time don't have to give someone equity. 
that was one of the first things mm. that we learned as we were going to business. Like Thomas said, we were looking for a, a tech guy. And the first thing that went to our minds, well, let's bring in a co-founder, give him some equity and blah, 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 blah. Well, now we've got a, you know, a full app, a proprietary application. We paid money for it and we have this thing built and we didn't have to give up any equity. So there are certainly more ways to get the job done than either doing it yourself or giving up equity. Yeah, definitely. What, um, so you guys have like scaled fairly quickly without going into like too much details. Obviously I know some of it's private. Like what were kind of like your numbers looking like sales looking like the first couple of years compared to now? So, um, without getting into the specifics of the numbers, we were doing, I don't know, maybe five to 10 moves a month when we first started. Um, then after that, we just kept growing 300% year over year the past, um, wow. a couple months, once we went full time, we were up 450% um, from the previous year. Um, so it's just taken off. Um, and obviously once it started out, it was really small, but something that we've done is every single day we try to make productive, um, whether it's working on ads or working on social media or building out SEO, um, just doing something and knowing that that's going to be rewarding in the future. Um, that's what's going to really help you. Yeah, definitely. And just looking at each day of like, okay, how can we get, you know, 1% better here and move the needle just a little bit, right? Yeah, sorry. We've got the, uh, the grandfather <laughs> clocks going off. Oh, you're good. <laughs> I figured that was happening when it's like 7 p.m., right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, just taking that one by one, right? Like getting 1% better every day. Every day doing something that you did do yesterday to get one step further towards the goal. Yeah. yeah. You can't build the house overnight. You just got to build it brick by brick. True. How, um, like what would you suggest out there advice wise? Like I struggle with this a lot too, uh, of the whole patient side of it. It's like, Oh, I want to build this now. I want this to happen now. Like what, what suggestions would you have there for fellow entrepreneurs who are struggling with, uh, with patients? It's almost, it's like a combination of patience and then analysis by paralysis. So mm. it's like, you want to get, to the end goal immediately. So you start thinking, okay, what's the end goal? And then you start like overanalyzing how exactly you're going to get there. And then by doing that, you never actually do anything. If you just take one little step each day and go towards that goal, one, you're not going to get impatient because you're seeing yourself make progress. And two, you actually are making progress. It's when you start overthinking everything and we do this all the time and you start to try to figure out how I'm going to get to the end goal and actually do nothing. That's where the problem happens. Right. And, and, I think a lot of people have this issue when they first start a business is thinking, how am I going to be the next Facebook? How am I going to be this big giant company in three years? Well, you don't even have the company yet. So how can you mm. be the next Facebook? You've got to, you've got to get it going, which is what we were able to do with those Craigslist ads. When we first started in 2015, that was a wash, but we also learned the business. We learned the ins and outs of how a labor only moving company worked. And so in 2017, we were able to stand it up. It wasn't like we wanted to build the next Facebook. We just wanted to get it off the ground with someone else working with us. And then even then it's hard to think, how do you stay focused? Cause there are so many different ways that you can build this labor only company, how you're going to, how are you gonna make money, make it off of data, make it off of mm. building companies, someone uh, per hour, make it a SaaS offering, I do it a monthly offering. There's just so many different ways that you can do it. But if you don't stay focused, you can just get lost and not do anything like Chris is saying. Yeah. I think that's a good point about the Craigslist ads. Uh, I didn't even really like fully think of that until you went on that. I mean, it's like those years of experience were actually what it's like to move. You were learning kind of the pricing side of it as well. Um, I think that's really cool that you took the time to not try to, you know, as you mentioned, build the next Facebook and you're like, all right, here's what we're doing. 
we're doing Craigslist ads, we're helping people move. And then you learn that experience and then you actually grew the organization from there. Yeah. And I don't know if a lot of people, uh, a lot of your viewers listen to Gary Vee, but he's a big advocate of this. You just got to get out there and do it. If you want to run a Facebook ad, how do you do a Facebook ad? You just go out there and make one. Who cares if anyone likes it? If they don't, that's how you get experience. You're not going to be really good at something the very first day you do it. Yeah. Yeah. And he's big too. Like, uh, now that you brought it up on the garage sailing, uh, Oh yeah. Just he's learning from the ground up, like, on, and then running a Facebook ad on some of the stuff you're selling. Like I love that, that side of things. Yeah. It's cool. People have seen him actually get relatively good at garage sales over time. You see back when he first started, he was not very good. And now he has a real good eye for it. Yeah. Do you guys run uh, like Facebook ads or Instagram ads for your business or? We, um, we, we have dabbled in Facebook and Instagram ads, but we primarily stick with the Google ads. Um, mm. We've just gotten really good at that over time because we started with it. Um, and we've got some other ad companies that have helped us out as well, but um, we've kind of stuck with Google just because our, our target market's not really on Instagram and Facebook. Um, they, they primarily find us through Google. Yeah, and our service is a little different in that like, if you're selling an econ product or something along those lines, people are going to find it on Instagram or Facebook. But for us, if you're looking for moving, you're going to Google and you're searching mm. movers in my area. You're not going to Facebook and you don't want to see an ad pop up every once in a while offering moving services or trying to hit those low funnel people, find them when they're actually looking for the service. And the best place to do that's on Google. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I think that uh, goes back to knowing your business too. It's like, you know, you could just run blind Facebook ads, but if your target audience isn't there, then you're literally just wasting so much money. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. So how, uh, how did you guys find like the proper two things, product market fit of like, okay, there's definitely a full need for this. And number two, like, how did you know where to fully price yourself? Just because when I was like 14, I started cutting, uh, my like grass in my neighborhood and started, you know, my own like quote unquote company. Uh, but I literally had no idea about pricing. I was only <laughs> charging like $15 when like the standard price was like 50 and I just undercut myself by like 40 bucks. So like, how did you guys learn this whole pricing and product fit side of things? Oh man, we, we didn't start at the right price. It's all <laughs> trial by error, but the simplest answer is man, you hit it earlier is Craigslist mm. by us being on Craigslist and us doing everything ourselves. Nothing that's been done in this company. We haven't tried to do or have done ourselves. So by us being on Craigslist, we got to meet the customers. So then we knew that customers liked our service. We got to go ask the customers what the pricing was like. We got to then compare it to other companies. So by us being out in the field and doing the job first, we learned everything we could possibly need to know about how to do this company and then how to grow it. Yeah, and, and it's funny we keep going on to, to 2015 Craigslist stuff because that was just so long ago and not a good time for the beginning of the company, but it's that's how we learned the ins and outs of the very bottom of the market. Um, what you find on Craigslist is not what you find in the traditional moving market. You've got trailer park homes, you're doing um, some just crazy waste removals and random sketchy areas of <laughs> middle of nowhere, Clemson, South Carolina. So um, you really learn a lot about the customer, like Chris is saying. Um, and once you go and talk to these customers, you realize, okay, they're willing to pay a certain price, but also where can I get that price to where someone wouldn't pay it. So we've, we've been working on our Craigslist ads um, and we messed around with the pricing to a point where we realized people weren't clicking our ad anymore. It's like, okay, well, there's our top limit. Let's find a little middle ground. Gotcha. That's really cool. I think, I, I think it's funny how we keep going back to the whole Craigslist thing, but it sounds like <laughs> just so many learning lessons in that era, right? Oh yeah. It was a it wild is. time. Yeah. What's and, uh? 
sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. There. I was going to say like, besides the, uh, you know, going to the bar and, and not showing up to one of the, the customers, uh, houses the next day. I mean, what are some like initial failures you, you maybe have right now with the business or that you've had in the past that you've learned from? I would say we've been blessed in that we haven't made any failure, haven't had any failures that have been catastrophic in a sense that we haven't had any failures where we've lost tens of thousands of dollars or we haven't you know, lost any great hires, which is a blessing. Um, but it's also a good point that we want to bring up and is that we've came extremely, extremely close to having large failures tons on multiple tons. occasions, whether it's like you said, bringing on someone, giving them equity when they probably shouldn't have gotten it. Or we at one point started a whole nother company, paid $5,000 to have the company incorporated and all this legal documents um, mm. set up for it uh, when we didn't even use it. But luckily we use that legal documentation to continue to grow this company. So we've kind of gotten lucky in a certain sense. But for us, the biggest failure, if you want to call it a failure, as more of a learning experience as we'd like to call it, has probably been staffing. Mm. Um, so for us being in the service industry, the people out there doing the job are by far your most important asset. And so we've made a couple of, we've promoted a couple of people who probably didn't need to get promoted and given people responsibility who didn't need to get that responsibility. And that's kind of came back and bit us in the butt a few times where um, we've had people not showing up to jobs and we've had some bad experiences with employees. But other than that, we've been, like I said, like I said blessed to not have any extremely large failures. Yeah. We've, we've got a, a great group of guys now and it's, just takes one bad egg to get in there and um, do a lot of damage, not necessarily to the company, but to the culture and how people want to work and how people want to interact with the customer and, and their drive. Um, and it goes a really long way. Once you see that change, it's really hard to weed it out. So um, that was, yeah, that's probably the biggest learning experience that we've taken in. Yeah, it, for sure. Just, stuff takes time. You just have to be, really careful and trust your gut. Um, you'll learn about within about a month if you made the right decision or not. It's really hard to go back on it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. What's uh, so anybody that has a service oriented company and they've had some people on the front lines that have made some negative <clears throat> decisions that's impacted just your customer perception of your business. How do you think they should bounce back and, and how can the founders put in some things that help them bounce back and increase the customer perception there? Oh, you got to call the customer. Um, oh, yeah. it's really bad stuff can happen on a job. Stuff will break. Um, you'll mess up. You just have to own it. That's probably the scariest first calls that we ever had to do is when we had an angry customer and it was terrifying. You remember every single one of them. You don't forget them, but you have to own up to it. Call them, make it right. Sometimes it's pretty expensive. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes they're like, Oh, I don't, it doesn't really matter. Thank you for calling and really appreciate that you helped me out. Um, they just want to be heard and mm. owning up to it is the best way to do that. And then to add on to that, um, on the employee side, your gut, your guts, you always your best answer. If, if you if your gut says this employee is starting to make bad decisions, you don't want to let them go. I would ab absolutely understand that, but it's going to, it's going to eventually happen. You just have to cut the cord. Sometimes if they're going to make bad decisions, they're going to bring that bad culture onto someone else and then teach them the wrong habits. So ultimately, if you start to feel like someone's got to go, then as hard as it is, you have to make that, you may have to make that call. Yeah. And being a young founder, it's tough. Like you don't want to, you don't want to have to do that. You don't know any better. Um, and it's, yeah, it's a really tough decision to make Yeah, because you give them the benefit of the doubt. Is it hard to uh, demand that respect of like, oh, who, who are you? I'm only, you know, one year younger than you. I mean, do you guys ever run into that at all or? 
Mm, not really, only because I think us going out there and have, having done everything else that these guys have done and mm. more um, has gained us that respect. So, like, when we launched this uh, Columbia location, Chris and I actually went out on the jobs, every single one of them when we first started. Probably the first two weeks, we were on every single job, whether they needed us or not. We were just out there with the guys training, uh, making sure they knew who we were, making sure they knew how the job was supposed to go. Um, we don't put the, the grunt work above us when it's necessary. And I think being out there and them knowing that we've done it before and we're still doing it with them goes a long way. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Do you think that uh, a lot of people that, that own a company or do you think that's like something that holds people back is that they don't want to put in that grunt work? 100%. There's so many people who want to go out there and start this great company, but they aren't willing to do the stuff that it takes to get the company started. Yeah, that's a that's a big issue when people start the company is they want the quick cash. They want the mm-hmm. uh, what you call the, the passive income, if you will. I don't believe in that at all. It's yeah. you put the work in to get there. It maybe in 20, 30 years you can have some passive income, but people want that overnight. It just doesn't happen like that. Yeah, for sure. I think one of the coolest things I saw, I forgot what airline this was, and obviously it's not super relevant right now because I don't think too many people are flying, but uh, <laughs> it, it was one of the CEOs of one of the big airlines and he actually like helped take the bags off the plane for people who were re- um, unboarding on the plane. I mean, it was really it was, cool. He it, just, was, uh, it was Delta. Yeah, Delta. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, he just stepped in and I think that's like really goes to show what it really takes at that level and he's, you know, making millions of dollars doing the same grunt work that, that everyone else is, so. Or Elon Musk going in the factory and living there for a week straight, not going home and being out on the front lines with the employees getting those cars built. Yeah, people, that yields more respect um, from your employees than I think anything else you can possibly do. Yeah, yeah I agree. Uh, with, the, with the bad customer reviews, I know you mentioned y'all are pretty active uh, with like SEO and Google. Have you gotten any bad Google reviews yet or is it all positive? Oh, yeah. No, we've gotten, we've gotten some bad ones for sure. And it's it's okay to get the bad reviews. Um, obviously it's not okay to get a lot of them, but once you get it, you really learn from it. If you're not learning from that bad review, um, you're doing it entirely wrong. So I think a lot of our, our initial bad reviews came from how do you, how do you pack the truck? Um, something we didn't understand was a lot of the equipment that could be rented can kind of get away from any of these bad reviews. So say blankets, it's $5 to rent it at the U-Haul store. Mm. We just came up with that uh, a couple of months ago. Um, and a lot of our bad reviews came from damage and transit and our guys just didn't know to put the blankets on there. Um, and so like once you learn from those bad reviews, we haven't gotten a bad one since we haven't seen any damage in the past five months. So it's, it's unreal. It, is that still going out and like finding their email and emailing them personally, or is there any way to bounce back from those? It's a phone call. Like we just recently had one um, on Nextdoor. So we recently launched on Nextdoor. Mm. We had a we had a bad customer review. Uh, this guy had booked with us three months ago, but we sent out a, a large email saying to all of our previous customers, hey, we just launched on Nextdoor. Please leave us a review if you liked our service. This guy went on and left us a bad review. Well, the story was we packed up this guy's stuff to take him to Florida, but the truck wasn't big enough because he didn't run a big enough truck for a couple of pieces of patio furniture. Our guys couldn't get it on there. He drives down to Florida. He's unhappy doesn't tell us about it though, but then he gets an email saying, okay, well, how do we do? He left us a bad review because he didn't get to keep his patio furniture. A simple phone call is also, we called him that morning as soon as we got the review, hey, you know, what happened? How can we help? He said, you guys left my patio furniture. We said, okay, well, we're so sorry, but we'll replace the patio furniture. We replaced the patio, patio furniture. We didn't even ask him to do it. He took down the review. 
if you treat people right, then they're going to treat you right. It's super simple. Yeah, they just want to be heard. Because um, typically in the service industry, the, the owners and the, the employees don't really care about the customer. Um, you'll find that all, whether it's moving, cleaning, yard work, doesn't matter. Um, the customer is just terrified of getting burned. So once you take care of them, it goes such a long way, whether it's replacing their stuff, um, refunding them a little bit, just even giving them a call. They just want to be heard and know that you're trying to do whatever you can to do to take care of them. Yeah, for sure. That reminds me, I remember uh, for a buddy's wedding, I rented a tux. It was just like too small after they sized me and I, I made a bad review. I was, I was that guy. And yep. uh, literally like two hours after I made the review, I get a random call and it's like, hey, what can we do to fix this? Here's a gift card. I'm like, wow, like, thanks guys. I think that <laughs> from the consumer side on mine, I think that definitely goes a significantly long way. And it, what does it take to make a call? Like two minutes, you know? Yeah. 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 And it's like, everyone gets it. Even like we do it sometimes. If you get bad service, it's just like, oh, this company doesn't care. What, like, it must happen to everybody. And I mean, once you get that call from the owner, it's like, oh, okay, maybe they do care. I'm, I'm extremely sorry. I <laughs> didn't know that that's how it was run. Yeah, too. And using that, it's kind of a weird analogy, but using that, you know, owner card, it's like they, they don't know that you only have X number of employees. You know, you could have 500 to 1,000 and it's like using that term owner, it can kind of carry some significant weight too. Absolutely. Yeah. If, if you got to use it, once you're starting out, you try to use whatever weight you can. Yeah, definitely. Do you, uh, you guys have obviously learned a lot over the years and, you know, been through a lot of trials, a lot of, a lot of different errors, a lot of, a lot of growth starting from the whole Craigslist side of things. Uh, how important do you think mentorship is, uh, for, for entrepreneurs out there, like growing companies or aspiring to start a company? Mentorship is invaluable, especially for young entrepreneurs. We started this company when we were 20 years old, we're still 25, 26 years old. We've only had one job outside of college, uh, less than two years. If, if you're naive enough to believe that you know everything it takes to succeed after two years and having a low-level entry-level position, it's, you're not going to succeed, I can tell you right now. Yeah. Having someone who's done what you're doing and succeeded at it is arguably the most important thing you can do to succeed. Yeah, and one of the, the best bits of advice we got from our mentor was that ride out your full-time job as long as you possibly can. Not only are you getting paid by someone else to do what you like to do before and after work, you also get to learn. So you get to learn by trial and error on your full-time job. Not that it's good to mess up your full-time job, but when you're making those mistakes, you can actually learn from them on your job and then relay that back into your business. Yeah, definitely. How, uh, what would you suggest out there for people who uh, and, I, and I go on a lot of these type of conversations. People just like hate their full-time job. They're growing their business, okay. but like they're not motivated from eight to five. And it's like significantly causing them to suffer in their full-time job. Like how do you get past that? Well, there's, there's really, there's either two, there's two things you can do. You can either get motivated or you can find something else that motivates you. Yeah. If you're, if you're truly not motivated by what you do, well, then you have to start taking the steps that it takes to get outside of where you're at. And that doesn't necessarily mean quitting your job on the spot. Um, that means starting to take steps in the right direction. And that's, that's something that Chris and I did, um, myself, once I started, I, I knew that it wasn't a good fit for me, um, just for what I was doing. Um, because I, I really liked building the business. I'd been doing it for six months on my own before that. I knew how awesome it was. And then I got, I had to start listening to other people and say, Oh, this sucks. I don't want to do what you tell me to do. <laughs> and once you got into that phase, I think everyone's going to see it, um, but you just have to build a plan. And so right before Chris and I had the idea of going full time, which is about 
eight months before we actually quit mm. was we built a, a solid 14 month plan from there. Um, basically step by step where we want to be month to month, uh, building out what we called the rocket ship uh, of our application that we have now um, to then once we go full time, it's actually useful because um, you can just burn through cash if you, if you don't have like a, a relatively good operation before you go full time. Um, and so by doing that, you're able to kind of launch successfully. Yeah, for sure. And definitely to that burning cash point, something that I didn't realize when I you know, started my side hustles and side businesses was all these softwares that you have in a full-time job, they're, they're not free. <laughs> I mean, even Zoom, <laughs> Zoom premium costs money, you know, Microsoft yeah, exactly. Teams, it's like invoice software. Next thing you know, like your, your monthly expenses is like 500 and you don't even have an office yet. You know, it's crazy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You got to make do with free software, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, nice guys. Well, I, I really appreciate you guys hopping on here today. I think this was some very valuable information. Loved uh, hearing about obviously undergrads and the expansion that y'all have had. Um, do you guys both have any final advice to the listeners? I know a lot of them are kind of very entrepreneurial, but I'd love to hear it if you do. All right. Yeah, I'll, I'll give it a go here. So um, the biggest piece of advice I can give anyone in the world, um, and I said it earlier, is you got to just do it. Um, you take that first step, you take that first step today, you take the second step tomorrow, eventually you're going to get to that thousandth step and you're going to be where you want to be, but just take the first step. Yeah. And, and to add on that, don't rush it either. Um, I know Chris thought of a, a ton of examples before this, but there's a, an entirely different spectrum between people who want to take the first step and quit their jobs or want to take the first step and start their, um, life before and after their nine to five. Mm. Kind of goes back difference. to that whole like patience thing, right? Yeah, I believe it was um, it's super simple. Like uh, there's two ends of the spectrum yeah. of entrepreneurship and how people get going. You've got your Mark Lurie's of the world who he started diapers.com and jet.com. Mm. This guy worked in an investment bank up in New York and one day just walks out of his office and says, I'm going to go start a business. No business plan, no idea, nothing. Just leaves and says, I'm going to start a business. Now he's worth a couple billion dollars um, and is the president of Walmart. Then you've got your Sarah Blakely's of the world, who mm -hmm. she started Spanx, as everyone knows. She developed that, that idea for two years while working in 9 to 5. She then launched the product um, while working in 9 to 5. She was Oprah's favorite product of the year and was still working in 9 to 5, <laughs> make, doing millions and millions in sales annually. So you can walk out of your job with no idea, be successful. You can work a 9 to 5 while you have an already successful business and be successful anywhere in between you just got to do it yeah for sure i love that where's that where's the best place to connect with y'all and, and undergrads if the listeners want to reach out um you can message us on linkedin uh, both of us are pretty active on linkedin um chris has been off of social media for about two years so <laughs> don't even attempt that um and then you can just message us on undergrads undergrads.com and um send us much there if you want to connect be happy to Nice. Yeah. I'll throw uh, that link in the show notes as well. Just so it'll be super easy and clickable and everything too. So yeah, absolutely. Appreciate that. Cool. Yeah. Well, thanks again for hopping on the podcast guys. <laughs> yeah. We appreciate awesome. it. Thanks. thanks again, Chris. Well, that's it guys. Thanks again for tuning into this week's episode of next level minds. Hope you enjoyed sitting down with Thomas and Chris. Thanks again for tuning in. Be sure to enter the contest by leaving that review on Apple podcast and sending it to me via email. Chance to win 50 bucks. Can't argue with that. Hope you enjoy the rest of your week.